and he is one of the most uh, unique human beings I've ever talked with. He loves Freddie Mercury, a, the former lead singer of Queen. For you kids that don't know, you can Google it. He's a Michael Jackson devotee. He's also called the king of uh, the strong style, meaning he's a badass. How you could go from Freddie Mercury, Michael uh, Jackson, to being a badass is a unique journey that this multi-talented, unique personality gets it done. Welcome to Last Match Standing, the podcast where we review, relive, and rank the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time. As always, I'm Spencer. I'm Paul. And I'm Landon. And today we have a match that we've been hearing clamors for for so long, right? It is our first venture into this list in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh yeah, you you could say that this is the climax of the clamoring for New Japan wrestling. I see what you did there. Uh, today we have for you Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship at Wrestle Kingdom Nine. Guys, I am shocked that this match just barely yes, but it did beat out the Kenny Omega and Okada match. I mean. That's impressive. So I was really excited going in uh, to, to kind of see this. This was the first time that I'd watched this match. So thank everybody for your, your recommendation. And I mean, obviously, I am familiar with both Kota Ibushi and Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, so seeing them clash and, you know, obviously their, their home country in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is easily the number two wrestling promotion in the world. And I think there could be an argument made for it being the number one promotion in the world. Oh, for uh, sure. So they just have some of the most exhilarating matches over there in New Japan. Uh, they have engaging stories. They're responsible for such stars as Prince Devitt, Kenny Omega, Shinsuke Nakamura, just to name a few. Um, others that have gone to NJPW, you're talking about AJ Styles, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, Chris Benoit, John Moxley was over there. He's still doing stuff with them. Like New Japan is either where you go to cut your teeth or where you go when you want to learn where you want to be where the best is in the world that's where it's done well i mean look just like last year jericho reinvented himself in new japan exactly right like we thought jericho was retiring and then all of a sudden he just shows up and challenges kenny omega to a match and that that was obviously that's where uh the jericho again reinvented himself which is something that chris jericho does i mean does (laughs) so well right better than anybody else how many times has jericho had to reinvent himself well, and but this time, whenever he did go to New Japan, he won the Intercontinental Championship over there, mm-hmm. and I believe that is what started his road to the AEW World Championship. I think so, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's really just a summation of what NJPW can do for a career. I mean, you go out there, and these guys make a name for themselves yep. in Japan, and they're some, they're some of the, if not the best wrestlers on the planet. Well, New Japan feels much more like a sport than American promotions mm-hmm. can do. I oh, mean, I agree. They focus very much on the in-ring action. They let the wrestlers tell the stories with their bodies. And they do have to-the-point promos. 
and the promos focus on selling the matches while maintaining a really realistic interview kind of uh, feel. Uh, they do keep track of championship records, so anytime a champ walks out, they're going to talk about how many times that champion has defended their belt. They're going to announce this as part of the match. Uh, and anytime someone wins a championship, they're announced as the you know 18th junior heavyweight champion. I mean, it just adds this prestige to every match. Right, and you can, you can say that the IWGP Intercontinental Championship is one of the most prestigious belts in all of wrestling, almost equal to their heavyweight championship belt. I mean, the names that have won this belt is is like a who's who in professional oh, wrestling. Oh, yeah. And then to, to uh, add to that point, while during Ibushi's uh, entrance, they talk about how like the Intercontinental title is considered to be on the same level as the heavyweight title. So mm-hmm. for him to, if he could successfully capture it, it would be his first time. It would be a really big deal for him. It would like, kayfabe-wise would say, that, okay, he is like, next tier to be like top guy like this he can now challenge for the heavyweight title that's how important it is well you say kayfabe wise but i mean that's pretty much the reality too you know what i mean like winning that belt absolutely cements you as a different type of star it really does in new japan the line between kayfabe and reality is almost non-existent right exactly especially especially from a competitive level you know what i mean it's definitely championships matter and it it's not it's not like they have a belt where you it changes hands six times in one night kind of thing <laughs> no. you know what i mean like right. these, these titles absolutely mean something yeah, so, this, I, so i just want to say thank you so much for suggesting this match it's it's one hell of a fun one and it's one that we had a great great time preparing for and, and watching and rewatching for this match uh also thanks to all of you on twitter who were able to send in more match suggestions we still have match suggestions coming in which is great and we want to hear yours if you have it um, definitely remember to rate, review us, share us. We would love to uh, hear any of your feedback. We're super, super excited about that. Uh, but we do have, I mean, like we said, Shinsuke Nakamura, Kota Ibushi winning this Twitter poll. Uh, this will definitely, by no stretch of the imagination, be the last New Japan match on this oh, list. Oh, no. Uh, you, could, you could definitely expect us to talk about those other three matches at some point. <laughs> right. But, it, but this one feels like a really wonderful start. Oh, yeah, to getting so. New Japan onto our list of the 100 greatest of all time. Yeah, I, I really think this is a really good match to start. If you if you're not a New Japan aficionado, you can watch this match in its entirety on Daily Motion Video with uh, Jr. and Matt Striker's commentary, and we're definitely going to discuss that too. <laughs> so one thing I noticed, and and you know I've seen a a, a few New Japan matches over the years, uh, and you know I actually uh, jumped on the. Uh, the New Japan World app, which is where you can go and you, it's, it's sort of like WWE Network. You pay a subscription and you right. can watch the library of New Japan shows. Which is awesome. And I, I started watching from like the Antonio Inoki old school 70s <laughs> matches. <laughs> and I mean, they were having mm-hmm. some real technical, oh, yeah. fun to watch stuff going on way back in the day. So it's, it's going to be a fun crawl watching, wa- oh, watching yeah, through everything. Well, it's one of those things. And I think that this is sort of like the Western world perspective in that we always feel like we're kind of the first to do things. We are not. But we are most certainly not. You know, like right now we have this big women's revolution. And of course, I love it. It's fantastic. But the things that our women are doing are things that women in Japan have been doing for a long time. Oh, yeah. Like since like the like the mid to late 80s, like like women wrestlers in Japan are treated the same way that men are. Right. There was, there was no bra and panties specials. So you know what I mean? If I got the chance to go to Japan 
and I had to pick one wrestling show to go to, it would be Stardom. Stardom oh, is has mm. some of the most incredible wrestlers coming uh, out of there. I mean, you've got Tony Storm, Kyrie Sane, Asuka. These people are insanely good at training. And uh, there's actually an, an episode on, I think it's The Wrestler. Is this a docuseries that's going on or The Wrestlers? Um, it, there's an episode that just focuses on uh, at Stardom and, oh, and, and Japanese uh, women's wrestling. And that's it awesome. is phenomenal. <laughs> Check that one out. But uh, I got to say, though, like getting into this one, um, just the onset of this match is basically Kota Ibushi. He recently went from junior heavyweight up to heavyweight, and he's trying to prove that he can make it. He can stand in the ring with a, someone like Nakamura, who you have to understand uh, the Nakamura we're seeing here is not the same Nakamura that we've seen in WWE. We saw a little bit of it in NXT. But like this, he is on a whole different level in Japan. He he is a monster. He is scary, and just the way he implements elbow strikes, knees, and kicks are just vicious. Well, you can see instantly where he earns the King of Strong Style. Nickname. Oh my God! Like the f- opening five minutes of this match, the shots that he gives to Ibushi. Mm-hmm. are scary so strong style is a big deal in japan yes. oh absolutely and so antonio Inoki used to send wrestlers to mma training mm-hmm. to learn how to get stiffer with their shots oh well i mean they talk about it when nakamura's coming to the ring like he trained in mma before he became a professional wrestler yeah he actually does have an mma career him uh, and him and brock actually used to spar before ooh, brock went into ufc i didn't know that can i see yep. some old videos of that right um, I, like i want to see that well when brock left after wrestlemania 20 you can actually see a match between brock lesnar a very very big very scary looking brock lesnar and a young a very very young boy nakamura like he looks nothing like he does now like he just has like a bowl cut and he's wearing like blue trunks because he's a young boy right and him and brock had this match and uh, you think, oh, well, Brock's going to kill him. No, Brock does not kill him. Nakamura like beats the dog shit. <laughs> they just beat the shit out of each other for like 10 minutes. It's amazing. <laughs> so uh, another thing worth noting that makes Jab- the New Japan matches so different from the Americanized wrestling matches is the crowd. Oh, for sure. Japanese wrestling fans make for such a, like it's just a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're very quiet. Yes. Very respectful. And they're very attentive. Oh and yeah, they pop when it's time to pop, right? But they're not texting, they're not on social media. Nope. They are there. They bought a ticket to watch the match. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, bathroom break, you know, like in, intentional. Like, okay, this match I don't care about so much. So I'm gonna go take a walk. Uh, it's it's a very different experience when you're watching because if you if you're thinking about it like you would a WWE match or NXT, whatever, you know, where you're expecting constant noise, that's not the case. But it just speaks to how much almost more. Le- Legitimate wrestling is seen as a sport. It really there. is. I mean, there's not a whole lot of sporting events you'll see in Japan outside of baseball and soccer. So, like wrestling is is treated like their pastime. Well, it's a very big deal, and right? every show is a bigger deal over mm, there because mm-hmm. they don't have a weekly TV show no. like we do. And I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I think the way I understand it is they essentially have two types of shows. There's like the road to the pay-per-view show, and then there's the the main event show. But unlike normal house shows, 
these have like very minor story progressions and the main story points happen at the big shows. Mm. Yes. Um, it, they, they don't really have commentary on their house shows. There's nothing like that. You know, they go watch the wrestling and then on the big show, they'll do the full production. Oh yeah. And it's, and they go all out in their productions. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. And we'll talk about their entrances in a minute and why, you know, like that sets the stage for like, it's just, it's a majestic experience. It really oh, is. It really is. <laughs> and, and, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, but this is a match, you know, you talk about how Ibushi's trying to like plant himself as someone who is a legitimate heavyweight contender now, right? Because he is stepping into a heavyweight role, whereas he was a junior heavyweight for, for most of his career, oh, all yeah. of his career at this, up to this point. Uh, well, Ibushi and Nakamura faced off in the 2013 G1 Climax tournament and it was a match that nakamura won but one that really surprised a lot of people and and had kota ibushi come out really good after that match you know oh, he yeah. he definitely kind of made a name for himself going against nakamura at the g1 climax in 2013 and so now with ibushi going into the heavyweight class it's definitely sort of a time to realize like how legitimate is ibushi as a heavyweight contender because he challenges nakamura for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship uh, at Power Struggle on November 8th of 2014. So just two months before this match takes place, he comes out because he uh, he was returning from a concussion injury. And he comes back, challenges Nakamura for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, and Nakamura accepts, and they get this match here at Wrestle Kingdom 9. Right, and this is how these kind of matchups take place. I mean, you still have somewhat of the uh, the guys, who, the heels who will run out and beat up on somebody, and so a match builds that way. You get a little bit of that, much less in New Japan. But the main way they build their storylines here is someone comes out and challenges you for a belt. It feels very much, it, it just feels more realistic. Right, right. And, and, and Ibushi, you know, in order to make that challenge, he did attack Nakamura after Nakamura's match. But, it, but that's just, it, then it clicks. You know, it makes sense. At that point, you're like, okay, I definitely want to see these guys, these two take, take it on, right? Because now they have a legitimate beef to squash. Right. And they're going to do it for one of the most prestigious titles in all of wrestling. But he didn't have to hit him with a car right. to get the match. <laughs> it wasn't a, in sort of a soap opera over-dramatized thing. Uh, it was just... This happened, and now these guys are going to fight to settle it. And I think one of the things that really sells this match is that it's for the uh, the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship was officially announced on uh, in January 2011, and uh, the inaugural champion was crowned in New Japan's first tour of the United States that following May where MVP actually won an eight-man tournament, and he actually he, he won the belt in Philadelphia. Yeah, they, they, uh, they briefly mentioned that during Ibushi's entrance about how like the lineage of the belt, as you were saying earlier, that they, they like to talk about previous champions and lineages and how important these belts are when exactly. defending them. Which, even if, no matter how passive or uh, to get dedicated a wrestling fan you are, it just makes the matches mean more on that alone. And another thing I really love about this is they mention during the entrances that Kota Ibushi is known as being this high flyer. Oh, yeah. He's, he's the golden boy. Oh, yeah. He, yeah he, he's the golden boy, Kota Ibushi. And he's supposed to be, you know, this big, almost superhero, the way he, he oh, flies yeah. around the ring. But they're also saying, how does he translate that into being a heavyweight? How do those exactly. things connect? And it, the thing is strange because you hear that and then Nakamura is... <laughs> It's not. I mean, he does some high flying stuff on occasion, but Nakamura is known as this brawler who will just 
beat the dog shit out of you and embarrass you and then just like humiliate you. Well, it kind of reminds me of the revival's tagline, right? No flips, just fists. And that's kind of, and except maybe this time it's no flips, just knees. Yeah, because <laughs> just that, knees. that's what Nakamura does. <laughs> well, a lot of but Nakamura is also pretty much known as the top tier guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, At yeah. this point, mm-hmm. he has had several reigns with the heavyweight championship and several reigns with the intercontinental championship. He is synonymous with greatness. Yeah. So what it means to step up and not only have this championship opportunity, but have the opportunity to knock off probably the top guy in the business. And and that's one of the most interesting things about the Intercontinental Championship here in, in New Japan is that you had these subsequent reigns of, you know, MVP Masato Tanaka actually held the, ah. inter- he was the second ever Intercontinental right. Champion over there. Um, and these people held the Intercontinental Championship, but it was largely a mid-card title in its early days, despite being won in the United States and that being such, uh, you know, having such coverage. Um, it wasn't until Shinsuke won the Intercontinental Championship uh, after being a three-time heavyweight champion that it really started to be seen as a top-tier title. And he would actually go and defend it over in Mexico and in the United States. And it kind of sold it as like their traveling world heavyweight championship, their traveling yeah. top yeah. title. You, you know what that reminds me of just a little bit is – when John Cena had that really great one with the U.S. title. Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking about. Yeah, I just it when you when you give a main event guy this lower belt and he just travels and defends it, not necessarily on a weekly basis like Cena was, but just defends it consistently in in really good quality matches yeah. against good quality opponents. And not and like, sure he's beating them, but he's making them look good. Like every a lot of people want to talk about when John Cena made the U.S. title mean something. Oh well, he because he he didn't bury anybody during that run. He made people look like fucking main event mm-hmm. level stars. I mean, like I just think about uh, like look how look what he did for Kevin Owens. Case in point, yeah. Like, Ke- Kevin Owens came out and beat him clean, and and Kevin Owens came into that. He came into that as someone that was a superstar to those that knew him. You know that knew him in NXT, but he came out of that yeah. feud as someone that was a superstar yeah. to everyone. Because that was his introduction on the main roster. He right. was still the NXT heavyweight champion, and he shows up and then just beats Cena for the U.S. title. Now he's got two belts. And I think we have a little bit of that going on right now, and I'm going to get like current day topical with this, but mm. with Walter coming over from oh, the U.K., and in this last episode of NXT we just saw this week, he brought the U.K. title over to NXT uh, in the U.S., and they're having some kind of invasion angle, which I think is going to really play out really interestingly. But how much value does that add to that UK championship? Exactly. So same thing like you're saying with Nakamura, with him being able to travel almost like it's a traveling heavyweight championship. But Nakamura absolutely elevates the Intercontinental Championship, and it absolutely helps that this belt is gorgeous. <laughs> it is just one of my favorite belts. It's beautiful. It's really, really good. So Ibushi is here. This is a classic story. Yep. Kota wants to unseat the champion, move up the ranks, uh, really prove himself in a heavyweight division. He's pretty small to be called a heavyweight wrestler. What is he, like 220 or something? I th- uh, yeah, I think he's a little like bit lower just, than that. I think he's like just over the weight requirements. Right. Yeah. And so Nakamura, on the other hand, wants to teach this little kid a lesson to, to kind of keep him down. And man, does he play that role. Oh, man. Oh, he, yeah. I mean, it's made evident just by their entrances. Oh, yeah, because Coda comes out, white t-shirt, white trunks, great hair, handsome-looking dude. Like, wow, that's a, that's a pro wrestler. 
he just comes out and he has this very very like white meat fire like baby face entrance like and, this guy's athletic he's gonna yeah, come put yeah. on a show and you and you uh, Matt Striker and and JR just telling him about how this is the kid you want to watch like this guy is gonna be a big freaking deal in this company and but he's got his work cut out for him and then before they can even start talking about it Shinsuke Nakamura has one of my favorite entrances that I've seen in a wrestling match. <laughs> He's got a crown and a cloak on. He is the king. The crown, it's almost Statue of Liberty-esque. That, that's exactly but, but what I was thinking. But it's gold. It's gorgeous. It's, and I just, I just said, well, as soon as I saw him come out onto that stage, I just said, Nakamura is flashy. Oh, yeah. And as he's coming out, they make allusions to his being a fan of Freddie Mercury. And I think JR even says, uh, that's the former lead singer of the band Queen. If you don't know who that is, Google it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I was watching this match uh, with my wife. And as soon as he comes out, Hope says, no capes. <laughs> is that an Incredibles reference? How about that? Well, he did recently tweet out a picture of him wearing a cape. Like yeah. in the past week. Oh, he's well, he back. just started it. Yeah, he's he just it brought a cape back. So I'm like, I like how the, the the more heel he becomes in America, the more he's becoming more of his new Japan Which persona. Which is awesome. And I'm like, well, if they let him do that, like just go like, screw it. You're just this crazy monster heel that just kills her body with mm-hmm. vicious strikes. Like that can work. They can pull that one off. If they're going to let Brock Lesnar do the same thing, why can't Nakamura do it? Oh, absolutely. But but let's just set the stage for you again as we've started talking about their entrances. It's Wrestle Kingdom 9, January 4th, 2015, from the Tokyo Dome. Well, Wrestle Kingdom is the New Japan version of WrestleMania. Absolutely. It's the biggest show of the year. But I love how it's at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and it's and it's in the Tokyo Dome. Like it it just screams big time. Oh, yeah. Right? This match has big match feel all over oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it helps that their previous match at the G1 Climax was the bout of the year. Right. So it, it everyone was clamoring for this match, and this is two years later they've mm-hmm. waited. So it's definitely big match feel. Yeah, things have changed, but it's almost like they, they haven't changed at all because that's how much people want to see this match. Like that, over the two years, their desire for that match never waned. And so we have Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship on commentary for the English-speaking world. Uh, we have JR and Matt Stryker, which is interesting. That's very interesting and, pairing. Yeah, and we can definitely talk about that. But then as referee, we have a legendary New Japan referee, and that's Red Shoes Uno calling the match, which is fantastic. I was really pleased. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, but here we go from Tokyo, Japan. Like you said, we had the entrances coming down. We have Golden Star, Kota Ibushi looking like, and I, you know, I almost want to say it this way, like the all-American boy. Like that's kind yeah, of what I thought really about. he really does. You know, like he definitely that, almost that young, like super likable, like great smile, athletic, like he's about like a fan favorite, right? And then Shinsuke comes out and he wants to eat your soul. I mean, it's just, I just it's phenomenal. That cloak, the crown, and then just them describing him because I'm thinking, like, if you're a fan or if you're not really that big of a fan, you don't know who he is, mm-hmm. and you watch him come out with that entrance and hear him being compared to Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury, I'm like, okay, this this guy's supposed to be the ultimate badass? Like, <laughs> and then he gets in the ring. And, like, my God. Like, the opening of this one, this is actually, like, one of the slower starts we've had, but I like that because it's that, it's that, that Japan style which is 
they're not just going to go hell for leather right away. They're going to build up, and they do. It's like the opening minute and a half is just them just feeling each other out. Okay, like, okay, get... All right, may, may go for a lock. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. Or, like, you'll get a kick to, like, the side of the thigh. And then you'll just get, like, Shinsuke, you know, put his left arm back and just kind of, like, basically puff his chest. I'm like, all right, you're going to kick me? Do it. Hit me in the chest. And sure enough, Abushi does kick him in the chest. And Nakamura just stands there and shrugs it off. And he just, like, takes three kicks to the chest. And I'm like, okay, they're going for it. Yeah, so really early on in the match, they start building the story of Shinsuke's the king. Shinsuke's at the top. This is the guy to beat. Kota, you are the new kid on the block coming up to the heavyweight uh, you know, division for the first time, and you're facing the best. What you got? <laughs> this match from the start is all character. Oh, it's yeah. so much character. You know, like we, we want to say that that New Japan is is so great at being legitimate and and strong style and 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 big hits. But they are just as good at these two characters telling a story in this ring from this from the start because it is it is that you know can Kota overcome this big egotistical you know best of the best Shinsuke Nakamura and and will Shinsuke be able to keep Kota in his place? But I, one of my favorite things is and I so I said kicks I meant elbows I'm sorry he's throwing elbow strikes at him yeah the and, kicks come later for sure yeah but what I love <laughs> is and we see a lot he does a lot in America whenever. Like Shinsuke pushed him in the corner, and then he does the thing where he like puts his head on his chest, and he's gonna flail his arms around. But before he can do that, Kota kicks him in the head. He gives him like a knee, mm-hmm. and then Nakamura like looks up, and then has that look on his face, like, "Okay, you want to fight dirty?" And then he just um, starts. Oh my god, the knee shots to the ribs every single time he did it. I'm like, "All right, pl- stop, stop the fight." And I'm like, "I'm I just." This feels like a kickboxing match over a wrestling. Well, yeah. I mean, pretty early on, Ibushi's on the outside, and he's hurt. He's slow to get up, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's really selling the story of he's the underdog, yeah. and he's got to find a way to get back in this. Mm-hmm. It, they actually, when I, one thing that tells the story sort of of this sort of kid versus boss type of, type of feel is Ibushi gets Nakamura into the turnbuckle. And Nakamura is seated against the bottom turnbuckle. And Kota Ibushi does the Nakamura signature foot on the throat, you know, and he starts to shake, right? "Ah." Which is a a Nakamura signature. But it's almost, it's like he's mocking, right? He's mocking Nakamura. And he's like, you know what? You're not so tough. Like, it's a big deal. I can do this too. But then it gets turned around and Nakamura almost instantly puts him in the same position and, and he's and like, okay, he let me it. show you how it's actually done. Yeah. And another thing that Nakamura does in this match, one of my favorite spots, and we've seen it, uh, I think we saw Ric Flair do it in the uh, in the Ricky Steamboat match that we covered, is the uh, the leg over the throat. Yes, he does do oh, that. Yes. Oh, man. This is, and this is, so this is when the ref is like, okay, we're going to have a clean break, right? And you actually hear it on commentary. You hear JR or, or Matt Stryker say, we get a clean break. But the next image you see is that Nakamura's knee, knee over his Ibushi's throat. throat. And then he's, the and then I swear, there's a cameraman right out to the ring. He gets right on Shinsuke's face and he's just kind of going, <laughs> he's laughing while he's like digging his shin. Naka did such a great job at slowing the pace in this match. He was working the abdomen mm-hmm. of Kota Ibushi Frequently. so much. And so, I mean, it's the stretches 
but it's the it's like Paul was mentioning. It's the kicks. It's the forearms. I mean, that's what he was does. In pain. Right, and and Nakamura does a great job of grounding Abushi early in this match with those submissions. And not only is he is he keeping him grounded and he's doing all those stretches, but he's turning them into pin combos. So it's almost like not only am I going to try to stretch you out and keep you on the mat, but I'm going to make you think even harder because you don't know when I'm going to turn these into a pin com- pinning combination. And I love that early on because it's, it's that ring psychology and, and you can tell why Nakamura is as good as he is because he's able to do that and do it seamlessly very early on in this matchup. And then just something that I really enjoy, after we get the what I just referred to as like the gyrating foot choke in the corner, mm-hmm. another spot I really enjoy that Nakamura always does is when he drapes his opponent over the turnbuckle oh. and then just full speed hits the turnbuckle, bounces off, and then runs up and just does this scary-looking upward knee strike to the like the stomach. And when he hits a bushi, he goes over the top turnbuckle and then it rolls under the apron. And then why is on the apron... Shinsuke does a knee drop to the side of his head and then a knee drop to the back of his head. And I'm just like, good Lord. They are brutal as can be. They are the most brutal knee shots. And immediately they start talking about Kota Ibushi coming back from the concussion because Nakamura is now targeting the head, knowing that that's a weak spot for Ibushi because he just had those concussions. He's just coming back from them. Uh, and it also speaks to how ruthless Nakamura can be. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as, the, while they're discussing this, the very first like offensive maneuver after they come back in the ring is a cravat lock. And how he's about just that? going, and he just goes, oh, um, my old pal William Regal would really enjoy that cravat lock there. And then he just does like, <laughs> and then he does, a, he does like a snapmare, and then he does another knee drop. And I'm like, mm-hmm. good God, he's going to kill him. And then uh, th- this just, this crazy sequence of submissions. Like Nakamura, like transitions between like five different submission moves. It was I didn't even, I couldn't even keep track of how many things he does. But he like rolls into like the rings of Saturn at one point, and I'm just like, oh man, how are you gonna break this? And then like Abushi fights his way out of it, and then that's when like Nakamura like again lowers his arms, is like hit me, and then Abushi just starts hitting with his elbows, and then. He gets one that kind of connects, and then we get a lung blower. And I'm like, okay, as soon as Nakamura is starting to fit, okay, he's starting to hit me harder, just cuts him off. Every, every time Abushi starts to get any momentum, Nakamura is so effective at cutting him off. And he does something when Abushi hits him with one of these really stiff forearms. I mean, stiff, we could say that for everything that happens in this match, because that's what it is. It's all very stiff. But when Ibushi hits a stiff forearm across Nakamura's chest in the center of the ring, Nakamura literally wipes it away. Yeah, he just... Like, he wipes it off his chest. Like, is that is that really Yeah, and they, and they go the like forehead to forehead. And he goes forehead to forehead. It's like, come on, what do you got? So like, there are two things, two storytelling elements that they use over and over again in this match. One of them is what you two are talking about right now. Mm-hmm. It's the... What does Kota have to do? Because it seems like no matter what he does, Shinsuke just brushes it off. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they go back to this well a couple of times, and I feel like it keeps building and building and building, is there's this moment where Sh- uh, Shinsuke slaps Kota in the face repeatedly. <laughs> like just pop. Like the- and then Kota gives him a receipt. Oh, yeah. 
and slaps the shit out of him. And you see this happen a couple of times if it's like forearms or kicks, and you see Kota like also, you know, using the 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 boot in the corner. You see these moments of Kota is learning along the way what it takes. So he's mm-hmm. answering that question of those other moments. What is it going to take? He's like, all right, if this is what it takes, I can do it too. But I just, I love, like, we just see Nakamura just so overconfident, just give him the slaps in the face. But when he gets one back, you just see this change in his face and in his, like, just his posture. And then he just starts getting vicious. Like, that's, like I said, like, when he hits that really sick, like, lung blower. And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, Shen. I thought we were, like, having a chop fest here. And he's like, no, I'm going to break your lungs. <laughs> Have you ever seen a more beautiful pop up hurricanrana? Oh, man. No, I have not. Kota Ibushi, dude. Oh. <laughs> he he's in. You know, Shinsuke is often referred to now as like the artist, right? But Kota Ibushi is is a work of art in this match in a lot of ways. You know, you talk about that that Hercrano. What about the triangle moonsault? Oh my that he God, hits when Ibushi so when Nakamura is outside the ring. I mean, it is picture perfect. I like they they show us a slow motion replay, and I'm just like watching him do it. I'm like, like he's so graceful. And a flawless springboard dropkick. Oh, man. I mean, it was gorgeous. All right on the button. And I noticed when he did that moonsault to the outside, you get to look at the ring. The ring is a lot lower to the ground. It is. And I noticed that there's a lot more space on the apron. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, the, like the, like the, it's, all, it's almost like a boxing ring is where like the, uh, the ropes are further into the ring. Right. And there's actually, you can actually stand there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm just curious as to how. I wonder how that changes the way that they, uh, the way that they wrestle, the way that they put matches together. I mean, if the ring is a little bit lower to the ground, you think it's a little less high risk when they do dive moves, like uh, most likely. I, I think so. I think that's a really interesting point, but it could be another one that sort of adds to the legitimacy of of everything. You know, with it looking more like a standard boxing ring, you know, where that sport is real, so to speak, quote unquote. Uh, but Abushi shows very, very quickly how not only can he revert back to these junior heavyweight tactics, you know, these big high-flying moves, these triangle moonsaults, but then he starts going with these stiff kicks. Oh, yeah. Like, when they do get back in the ring, uh, there's like a sequence of like reversals that is just crazy. Like, uh, we get some more springboards, and then we get a couple suplex reversals that just are scary. Because like, oh god, he's gonna hit him with the suplex, and he just kind of gets out of it. And then the for the this is the first time that like Abushi hits like a big kick, and Shinsuke doesn't wipe this one off. He takes a spinning back oh, kick right in the stomach, yeah, and he just like like almost spits out, like he almost loses his mouthpiece when this happens. And then as he like turns around, then he catches just this like this scary shin kick right to the chest, and it floors him. He goes, he goes down. And I'm like, here we go. And we get a standing shooting star press. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and that just speaks to, to really who Abushi is. He turns into this sort of hybrid, sort of strong style athlete that can also do the standing shooting star presses. That's or, beautiful. You know what I mean? But it, it reminds me of the Cruiserweight Classic because the Cruiserweight Classic was sort of our first glimpse uh, in the WWE side. It definitely was Okoto Abushi, but of this sort of harder hitting cruiserweight style and that's what Kota Ibushi is he's he's this sort of cruiserweight type of athlete 
that can hit you harder than anyone else oh, around. Yeah. He's he's that good. But he goes for the springboard a second time Ooh. and he's caught. Nakamura said, "You're not going to fool me twice." <laughs> right? Like I'm like I'm going to catch you the second time. And then he just goes for more knees and he actually goes for his finish for the second time he in the does. match. The Balmaye knee strike. Oh yeah, but that's what's crazy is like he blocks a springboard dive with a one-legged drop kick. Oh my oh, god, that yeah. is probably my favorite moment of the match. And when Knock they show, drop kick. Uh-huh. when they show the slow motion replay of that, it just looks like death. Oh, he nailed him. Like there was oh. no, you know, that was not a force kick. No, <laughs> that was a full contact. Single leg drop kick, Kicked which I just I don't know that I've ever seen someone do a, a drop kick like that. Not like that. And no. another thing that I noticed, uh, so Naka's wearing his black trunks here, and I, you know you've seen him wear black trunks. I think he debuted with black trunks, uh, but a lot you see him wear like the the bright bright red. Mm-hmm. But when he's wearing the black, you can really tell how long his legs are. Yes. Yeah. Like, absolutely. That is a long legged man. Yeah, and so that I mean, talk about why it makes that one-legged dropkick look that much better because it's full extension, and you're like these guys' legs go on for days. Oh yeah, <laughs> they just go on for days. And just like this, this just this next sequence, you you mentioned that uh, we get some really scary knees to like the back mm-hmm. and the side of the head, and then he goes with the bumaye, but he doesn't he doesn't get it just yet. The bumaye, um, by the way, in case you're not familiar, is is the Kinshasa, right? Yes. Is is that. Shinsuke Nakamura finishing. It was actually a, you know funny story about the Bomaye. Yeah. So back in the seventies, during the infamous Rumble in the Jungle boxing match that happened between Ali and uh, <clears throat> excuse me George Foreman, mm-hmm. during the fight, the crowd just kept chanting Bomaye, 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 which uh, means kill him. And Nakamura says, "I like that. I'm going to call my <laughs> knee strike Bomaye." But when he got to the Fed, like, no, you, you cannot use that. <laughs> we don't want any instances of kill him whenever you're fighting. Well, I love the fact that Shinsuke does use the knee. Oh, yeah. And he uses it not only as the Bumaye knee strike, as the Kinshasa, like the finishing move, but he uses knees to keep Kota down. Oh, yeah. And it really, it's, it's selling that story of this guy that's on top, that's keeping the baby face down. I, I, just, it, I really bought it. Right, and so this is a this is a twenty minute matchup, right? Twenty minutes and twelve seconds, I think, and we're about halfway through, and it's really been back and forth. But it's been a story of every time Abushi is starting to get momentum, it's Nakamura and those knees oh, yeah. that keep him down. Just and just like I was saying a minute ago, this this next sequence is crazy. So he uh, Abushi dodges the Bumaye, and then we go we get a springboard Frankensteiner by Ibushi <laughs> followed by a dragon suplex and then a standing corkscrew moonsault. So this snapdragon suplex oh my is <laughs> brutal. It's scary. First of all, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say a snapdragon suplex into a standing corkscrew moonsault. Like that's a whole lot of words. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever heard that before. But that snapdragon suplex, Landon, to your oh, point. Oh, God. Oh, man. No one takes a neck bump like Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> no. Him and Rob Van Dam are like a whole nother level <laughs> of neck spots. I'd love to have seen those guys feud in like 2007. <laughs> it would have been brutal. But <laughs> Ibushi also gets to show off his selling skills yeah. when he takes one of the most brutal power bombs. Or, no, no, no. Oh, excuse me. God. Excuse me. 
Ibushi delivers the powerbomb on Shinsuke. And I was so impressed. My, my jaw hit the floor because the size difference between these two is evident. Like, mm-hmm. it's obvious. And so the fact that Ibushi was able to get him up there and deliver this powerbomb and it actually looked effortless and it oh, looked yeah. and it's not, flawless. That's the powerbomb. He like legitimately does like the last ride. Like, he picks him up that extra yeah. couple inches and then sets out. And I'm like, Jesus. Do you remember when, uh, I was it SummerSlam? I don't even remember. When Finn Balor faced Bobby Lashley. Yes. And and Balor got Lashley up for the powerbomb. The jackknife powerbomb. And no one, like, no way. And that, like, he just freaking jackknifes a guy twice his size. Right, right. So it was kind of a similar feeling uh, in, in which that it was, it was surprising that he was able to pick up Nakamura like that. But to go one extra step and almost the last ride style powerbomb and turn it into a sit-down powerbomb, Wow. Wow is all I was thinking. And I, I thought that could have been it. Well, I, I think Babushi thought it was too because he goes for the Phoenix Splash right there. Here we go. He's going to put him away. And nope. Shinsuke is too smart. He rolls out. He just gets out of the way. And before Abushi can collect himself, Shin hits him with the Bumaye to the back of the head. Mm-hmm. That's part of one of the things that I really love about that finishing move is that he can hit it from different angles and different ways. It doesn't look the same way every time. And I, I legitimately thought, well, he's there's no way he's getting up from that. He's he's bound to be concussed, but fuck me, he fires up. He gets out of that corner and he just starts shaking his Well, he, because Nakamura, like after Ibushi kicks out, Nakamura just starts stomping on Ibushi's oh. head. And it is I mean, it's gross. <laughs> it is these like stiff I like no regard for your health at all. Like I'm gonna step on your head and the whole time Obushi is just smiling. Yeah, he just gets up and he just like he's laughing. It reminded me a lot of um, the WrestleMania 31 match between Brock and Roman, where like Brock just kept brutalizing him and Roman was just like laughing and just kept fighting back. It reminded me of that. Uh, I understand I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for comparing this match to that one, but hey. That's just what I thought of when I saw it. There's some absolutely brutal kicks and stomps to Ibushi's head. Yeah. Like, there's no pulling the punches here. No, there's not. It it hurt me looking at it. Like, I got a headache watching that. (laughs) But but just like Balog was saying, Ibushi fires up and he starts hitting these, like, closed fists, straight straight right punches. Like, you're not supposed to do that. Which is not a thing. Right, it's no. not a thing, and like we, it's no. it's always you know when we when we watch ra- wrestling matches here, it's it's quote unquote not a thing. Like you're not supposed to do that, but well, it's a legitimate I'll, rule. Well, I like what he does is he'll throw like a straight right hand, and then he'll just throw this sick like palm strike like right to Knox's chest, and then he hits him with like this spinning back uh, the spinning back uh, clothesline, and I'm like fuck me, here we go, he's gonna take him down, but before he can really get any damage in. Nakamura shoves the ref into Ibushi. And and while he's trying to collect himself, Nakamura hits this. I mean, I legit thought he knocked him out with his punch. Mm -hmm. He hits him so hard in the temple. That was a straight right hand. Oh, my (laughs) God. I I thought thought for sure, oh, well, he's went into business for himself and like legitimately tried to knock him out right there. But how great was that? Right? Like, that, that accomplishes, that move right there accomplishes two of the goals you had going into this match. One of them is to make Nakamura look like a vicious striker because he hits this straight right hand that is out of this world. Oh, yeah, like the sound it makes when it connects. 
I, I thought my speakers were popping. Like, no, no, that was just the sound of a fist connecting with another man's head. It's scary. Right. And, and the other goal it accomplishes is, oh, by the way, Nakamura is so vicious, he's going to do whatever it takes to win, including pushing the referee into Oh, yeah. And then Abushi fires back with his own haymaker, and Nakamura turns it into an armbar. And not just like a scary-looking armbar. <laughs> and do you see the way Abushi counters this armbar? With kicks and stomps yep. to Nakamura's head. So he's turning around those mm-hmm. kicks and stomps that Naka was doing. He's oh, learning. Yeah. That's yes. one of the things that keeps coming back yeah. that really draws me in. And then he fights at that arm bar with an, like a reverse exploder suplex. Another very like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Another very scary landing for Nakamura. But then we have my favorite part of the match. After that happens, Abushi walks into the corner and then he grabs that top rope, and then he just goes, Bleh! he does Shinsuke's, like, I'm about to hit the Bumaye pose. And then he hits the Bumaye on Nakamura, who kicks out at one. Like immediately. Which is almost like a, like, you didn't do that, right? Like, like, this was my move. That didn't mean anything to me. And then we just get, like, some of the most vicious forearm, elbow, and kick shots in this match they just start this is where the mma really comes through yeah right there's a point right in this section when these guys are just going back and forth abushi is on the ground and nakamura's boot is in abushi's mouth yep like it is in his mouth and i'm just thinking gross these guys hate each other like they hate each other and this is a legitimate beef like that's what that's what that tells me which is it's just next It's next level where this match goes. Well, a lot of times you see these moments in American wrestling where you have this strike fest, right? You're put, they're, they're doing right. these punches back and forth. So it's punch, yay, boo, yay, <laughs> boo. So this was not that. No. These were strikes. Oh, yeah. These were like, submit. I'm just going to keep doing this unless you give up. And uh, there's a point not long after this where uh, Shinsuke winds up on the apron on the outside. And we're about 17, 18 minutes into the match at this point. Yeah. And Kota makes it over to him. He's like, well, I've got to, you know, this, I don't know if maybe there's like a a time limit on the match or something. He's like, okay, well, I got to do something drastic. And he hits a German suplex from the apron to (laughs) bring him back in the ring. Over the top rope. He, he, he runs up, jumps on that second rope, and gets underneath Shin's arms. And we, we discussed what kind of suplex it was. I rewatched it. Like, no, it's a German suplex. He gets underneath both arms, and he just smiles. And then he just pulls Shinsuke over that top rope. It was Cesaro-esque. It really was. Yes, in terms was of very, strength. Yes, I agree. It was, it was like, oh, my God. And that gives us, that's like our third or fourth Ibushi mega suplex oh, that we yeah. in this match. And, I mean, to say I jumped out of my chair, uh, so did JR. JR, like, loses his <laughs> shit right here. <laughs> that's because Matt, cause Matt Stryker says, I don't know when, I, when the last time you jumped out of your chair was. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Oh, man. And then we uh, Shin goes... I'm sorry, Shin reverses a powerbomb. Yeah, so Ibushi goes back to that. He goes tried to hit he tries to hit another powerbomb on Nakamura, but how did it, how did he get out of that powerbomb, Shinsuke? Well, uh 
some more knee stomps to the head. Right, and he he headbutts his way out of this power bomb until he has Ibushi on the ground, it's and just, then he just starts just, throwing bam, the knees. Just headbutt, yeah. headbutt, headbutt, and then he just starts. Yeah, he starts throwing knees, and so then like Kota like like covers up and rolls over, and then Nakamura starts hitting knee him in the back of the head and the top of the head. I'm like, that's how you kill somebody. <laughs> oh god, and then he goes for a top rope knee stomp. Yeah, he hits the he hits the Bamaye from the second rope. Oh, it's so scary, and just. Uh, and then we get this moment. I don't know why I pop so hard for this. They both go for the Bamaye, mm-hmm. and they knee each other in the knee, and they just like kind of collapse. Uh, but I don't know how he pulls this off a chin. Just he he catches. Uh, he puts him up on his shoulders. I think he's going to do like a Samoan drop. He does a Michinoku driver, and then finally, finally connects the Bamaye. And secures the victory and retains the ID, IWGP Intercontinental title. And uh, IWGP, we have discussed, uh, it's the International Wrestling Grand Prix. It is the, yep. uh, I, I suppose it's the governing organization yes. behind uh, New Japan. But, oh man, what a match. Yeah. <laughs> Hard hitting as it comes. Like this, this match encapsulates what New Japan Pro Wrestling is yep. in a lot of ways. I mean, and... It's it's two guys that are legends in in Japan and golly like I just a lot of fun just a lot of fun we've seen MMA fights that didn't have as many stiff shots as this so that's totally true because <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen the, the the one punch and you're done yeah uh, those so how do we feel about Shinsuke retaining the championship I felt like. After everything that Abushi did, I really felt like he should have won that match. Like, I really, really did. To me, it made it feel like this was not the last match in this series. Oh, no. I mean, to be fair, it was only the second, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe there was room for a rubber match. I just I felt like something was missing with Shinsuke getting the win here. So, interestingly enough, I... You know, going into this match, it ends up just like their 2013 G1 Climax match was. This match was seen as one of, if not the best match of of 2015. And it happens in the first week (laughs) of 2015, right? In January. Uh, But, you know, going into it, it almost feels like Ibushi should have won. Like, this was his chance to to step onto the scene as a heavyweight, to take out such a, a major star like Nakamura to win that Intercontinental Championship belt that would have just elevated his career to the next level. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So now it feels like maybe that was the right move because of, of where both of their careers went. But in the moment, it absolutely seems like maybe Ibushi should have won that match. Well, you know, I, I say that, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know what that makes me want to do is watch them fight again. I want right. to see. Right. A re- yeah. I, it makes me, makes me clamor for a rematch. Like, no, I need... Abushi has to beat him. I want to see them fight again, and you, and they just got my forty nine ninety nine for the next pay per view because I want to see it happen. And I'm like, okay, so I was bit complaining. I'm like, wait, no, that's 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 what you want a wrestling match to do, make you want to see more. Like you, like if you're, I mean, it's it's great to have like you know uh, expectations met or exceeded and be satisfied, but for a match like that to have you go, fuck's sake, I rematch. Well. That, and another thing it does is, you know, an argument can be made that it just was more realistic 
to have yeah. Shinsuke win the match. Yeah. Abs- yeah. Because, I mean, you had these moments where he was showing off. He was like, you know, this is what you have to do to beat me. This is what you have to do to beat me. And he just wasn't good enough. And you it. know what? That happens in sports. It, it's it a does. sport. It really does. But uh, I just got to really say, guys, I, I know we've kind of already mentioned favorite moments. But if you want to touch on those again, I mean, I've, I felt like each of us has a different favorite moment. And I really, really like that. Yeah. Were- yeah, absolutely. I, I think so, too. I think this is this is one of my favorite moments of any any time we do one of these matches is because our favorite moments because we are all three very different and what oh, we yeah. view a match for and for me i i think it has to be the that sequence between the snapdragon suplex into the corkscrew oh, yeah. but then you get the power bomb and the first bomaye like i i just really love that first bomaye moment uh, and and then how brutal it goes on from there. So I would say, I guess, if I had to say what my favorite moment was, it's it's the stomps on the head after the Bomaye. <laughs> yeah, it's like the and then making the in, sure you stay down. Yeah, and the ensuing stomps from Obushi while he's trying to get out of the armbar from Nakamura. Like, oh, yeah. Just because I think it tells you how stiff this match is, how brutal it is, and how much these guys just have no regard for each other's yeah, lives. Yeah, it's like <laughs> they, they they will win by any means necessary. Yeah, it just for, makes them both seem so dangerous. It it really does. Anytime that my my favorite is anytime Shinsuke is 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 beating down mm-hmm. uh, Ibushi. It, it, the the single leg drop kick really stands in my yeah. mind. So not it's, only yeah. not only does Shinsuke do that, but he has this sick smile on his face while he's doing it. Well, it's it's the whole point that this is Kota going to the top rope to do what brought him to the dance, right? And it's not enough. He's going for the Phoenix Splash, which is like, that's his signature move. And he tempted it twice, and both times it's he's blocked with a drop kick. The second time, he, uh, Shinsuke just rolls out of the way. He's like, oh, no, you're not going to beat me like that. And I just I feel like it's him saying, you're not good enough to beat me. And as I said, as a wrestling fan, that just makes me want to see him try again. Did you have a favorite a favorite moment? Uh, I, I mentioned it, but I'm just going to mention it again. That amazing springboard German suplex mm-hmm. over the top rope. <laughs> How <laughs> many times have you heard that sentence? You yeah. just don't. <laughs> and then and then have it followed up with a standing corkscrew moonsault. <laughs> just like come what? what? I mean, it's just bonkers. I mean, it's just totally it just, that. That just brings me back to what we said about the Eddie yeah. uh, the Eddie Guerrero Rey Mysterio match, where you just read that sequence. I'm like, read that again. What, say that one more time, please. What what what, you, what did I just watch? And uh, not just that, but just like the storytelling in this match. I mean, like the selling. I mean, I don't know. For some reason, some uh, fall twenty nineteen. It almost sounds weird to talk about it. Really enjoying the selling in a match in an era where we like people just don't sell like they sell for this. But be honest, some of that selling might not be selling. <laughs> I know some of those kicks of the head, I think, are actually like, oh, shit, my head hurts. But or, or they could just be that good that we think they're really hurting each other and they're not. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. But, you know, like when I rewatched it, and I don't know how I didn't pick up this the first time I watched it, the subtlest of storytelling is in their attires. Abushi is wearing white trunks with blue accent. Nakamura is wearing black pants with red accent. So if you don't know who the good guy is, who the bad guy is, like you know, like oh, just by looking, at him, well, the bad guy's wearing black and red, the blue guy's wearing white and blue. Yeah, no, they definitely coordinate. 
It's so subtle, too. I'm like, I did not pick up on that until like the third time I watched the match. I'm like, oh, okay. I love little details like that. Like, those are some of my favorite things in wrestling oh, yeah. where you can pick out just the, the really important details and thoughts that went into creating matches like oh, this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to, before we, before we rank it, which I'm sure will be quite the experience, but before we do that, uh, I, I wanted to mention commentary, JR and, and Matt Stryker, uh, because, uh, you know, obviously this is not the, you know, organic commentary from the event. We don't speak that language. So we obviously did not listen to that commentary. So we listened to the English adaptation from JR and Matt Stryker. And JR and Matt Stryker, kind of a team that were sort of thrown together. JR tried to try to get some other guys um, and he couldn't. So he ends up getting Matt Stryker. And I just personally, no bueno for me. Like it, and I'm not going to like fault the match for it, you know, and it's, it's not going to take away from it for me. It's not going to affect the ranking, but it just made me a little sad. <laughs> I would like to go back and rewatch the match yeah. with the Japanese commentary yeah. um, and subtitles just to see how different the experience would be. Right. Because I do agree with you. Uh, Matt Stryker has never done much for me on commentary or in the ring. Um, he He's just... And no, no offense to Matt Stryker. Just as a commentator, he's so cheesy to me. <laughs> and he's just like, he's going to try to make himself sound like he's smarter than you. And one of the whatever. things that Matt Stryker does better than most uh, is promos. Matt Stryker's a Yo, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's great. He's really great uh, at, at, he's like a character actor. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's really good at that. But I just, I don't think that Matt Stryker's strengths as either like a character or as a promo or as a commentator really work well for this match. Now you listen to JR talk about it. Like JR, he, 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 I mean, this was, it was kind of a last minute deal for him. And I mean, he's talked about it. He was a little jet lagged when he did it. And he, he does mm-hmm. sound like a little tired, but yeah. he still gives it everything he's gotten. Like once the match gets going, like you cannot tell that he's jet lagged and he's tired. Cause he just gets really passionate. And the way he calls it is just, I kind of wish he had called it by himself. Sure. Well, yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting because Matt Stryker, to me, comes off as condescending, but knowledgeable. Yeah, and he JR, really to me, and I I love JR. I always love JR, but it sounds like he's out of his depth here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he doesn't really know these guys so much. And well, I get the feeling that he knows them by, like, name and reputation. Right. But I, I don't get the, the feeling after watching this that JR, well, I don't think he had enough time to do enough research. Right. But you can tell he hasn't been covering this promotion his entire career. And you can tell that when, when they are commentating because I think JR, and I think this is how most commentators would be. So I'm not faulting him at all, but he reverts back to kind of his, I don't want to say catchphrases, but sort of those things that you kind of know JR for and the things that he's familiar with because he, he doesn't have that depth that he can kind of go to, to really tell the, the intricacies of the story between Nakamura and Ibushi. So it's just, you know, it's not my favorite, and I think, Lennon, I think you're absolutely right. Like, maybe we should go back and rewatch it with, with the Japanese commentary, with subtitles, because I do think that it it would bring a more authentic 
um, experience to it. Most likely. I agree with that one, too. But I, I'm not going to let the commentary fall through. Oh, no, not at all. It's um, just something I wanted to discuss. I mean, to it's, discuss. Not, it's not bad commentary. Like, uh, it, people, listeners, don't think we're saying the commentary's bad. It just it leaves a little something to be desired, in my opinion. Yeah, just for those of you that, that you know, we recommended you can go watch it on Daily Motion or you can use the, the New Japan app. Um, you know, if you're going to go watch this match or if you watched it before coming into this episode, you know, just something we want you to be aware of and something, oh, yeah. you know, if you have thoughts on that, we'd love to hear them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, all right, gentlemen, uh, we got to rank this bad boy. We do have to rank it. This is match number 14 going yeah. on to our list of the 100 greatest matches of all time. Just as a friendly reminder, number one, as it stands, is Triple H Shawn Michaels SummerSlam 2002. So now that we have 14 matches on the list, the first question we have to ask ourselves, is this in the top 10? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a really interesting uh, a question because whenever I initially started thinking about where this match would end up on the list, uh, you, know, you know what I do, right? I always think, what's right. the closest mm-hmm. thing to this that's up there? And, uh, you know, it was kind of awesome versus Tanaka for me. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, if it, this almost feels like the same level of violence without the weapons. Yeah, and so that's where my brain went, and that is our currently number 10. Yeah, okay, so that would mean that it would it would rank higher than DIY Revival, Cactus Jack, Triple H, and Kurt Angle, Shane McMahon, and I feel comfortable ranking it above all three of those oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think that's definitely true. So so does it cross the Awesome versus Tanaka uh, threshold? I think so. Yeah, me too. I, I, I think, would put it above that. I think if I were to go back and watch it with the less sleepy commentary, yeah. then yes. Uh, but my first thought was no i was more excited watching awesome versus sanaka just i mean maybe simply because joey styles was like screaming the whole oh time. yeah like joey um, styles so is like if the I, biggest mark ever but if i just look at it from uh the storyline perspective and the impact that this may have had on the kota ibushi's career um I, I think i would put it at number nine just below Eddie versus Ray, because I believe the next closest match is just on like a workload oh, basis. Yeah. It's it's the Eddie, Eddie Ray, Ray match. I would agree with that one hundred percent. And uh, Eddie and Ray uh, just kind of went to town in that match they and really told did. and told a greater overall story, in my opinion. So I would put it right right there under Eddie and Ray at nine. I would also put it right there. That I was really because when you're talking about at number ten, so well, I would go one more and put it above the Rumble, right at, right behind Eddie and Ray, because that is like the thing is funny because the last couple of matches we we've done have been like the oh man, it reminded me a lot of watching Eddie and Ray, Eddie and Ray, Eddie and Ray is like the sleeper favorite match of ours right now. <laughs> so yes, I, I also would put it at uh, number nine as well. Uh. Man, no pressure, Spencer. <laughs> no pressure at all. Well, you know, I, this is a familiar territory, right? Where you guys have decided uh, and you agree, and then it's my turn to either sway you or just agree, right? <laughs> so this is familiar territory for me. Hey, it worked out for you last it week. Did. It, it did. It did. I felt really very did. good about it. Uh, here's here's the thing for me. Uh, I think where you rank this match depends entirely on what you want out of professional wrestling. Um, if you want hard hitting, if you want legitimate, if you want superstars if you want a a brutal 20 minute battle then this is going to be close to the top of your list if you want not that you know if if you're looking for more story or maybe more near falls or more you know 
big spots, so to speak, then then maybe this one doesn't rank as highly on your list. But Lana, you said something while we were reviewing it is that it felt like it might have been missing something from you, uh, from the match that kind of holds it back from necessarily being, you know, the best of all time. Uh, I I think that there will be better New Japan Pro Wrestling matches that we cover for sure. Like, I just think so. And I mean, you can look at the Twitter poll that we did, you know, I think that when we get to Okaido Omega, you know, oh, that's yeah. going to be one that really challenges us as far as where it goes. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that I'm not super well versed in new Japan pro wrestling. And, well, I don't think any of us are. Um, I think me and Landon have like a passing knowledge at best. Uh, we, we've, we've dipped our toes into it before. Uh, we actually watched the next wrestle kingdom, like a year, uh, yeah. year, a year later, we mm-hmm. stayed up until four a.m. to watch it. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and it's just, and I don't, I don't want that to be a knock on it. Like I don't want my ignorance about it to keep it from from really being stronger on the list. Um, I think this is something that it's going to divide our listeners once again. You know, I think, but that's part of the fun of this list, and I think that's part of part of what I really love about having having listeners have the ranker you know, ranker.com slash last night's changing because you're able to rank this yourself and it looks so different. Every, like if everyone has their list of one through 13 right now and what's going to be one through 14, we probably won't find two listeners that have the same list at this point. And, and that's really awesome, but it makes it so, so difficult too for us but that's why we include when we get down to the end here with last match standing we'll we'll include both our list and that on ranker but if i if i have to rank it it i just don't like this at all uh but we're here and we should uh it's it's hard for me to say that this match is lower than trish and lita like it, it's just it's difficult for me to say, and and I feel like we've kind of put ourselves in a corner with having Eddie and Ray below that, um, and we and you know I agree with where we put everything so far. You know that's we've made this list together, and and I think that it's it just makes things difficult because there's like a top half and a bottom half of this list. Sure, and and like like Paul was saying, Eddie and Ray is sort of that divide, and. I I would probably put it at number six right after the X Division four way match. Oh, interesting. Uh, but but that's just me. So I mean, right. well, let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's let let's figure this out now. Why did Trish and Lita make it above Eddie versus Ray? Well, the impact and what it did for women's wrestling. Um, and and I and I and I get it. You know what I mean? These, it's it's difficult because we're in 2019 and so we're looking at things if we started making this list in 2015 or in 2010 you know maybe trish and lita before this women's revolution happens it doesn't rank as high mm-hmm. no i don't think so because the women's re- like it, it it was a big deal for for them but it hadn't led to anything yet but now we know that it has mm-hmm. right and this match nakamura abushi is you know, one of the best matches of the year in 2015, but we know what these guys are capable of moving forward. And so it, it's just, I'm really, really torn. Uh, does this have the sort of glass ceiling breaking impact that Trish and Lita has? No, of course not. No, not really. But it's got a style of match that 
doesn't match anything else on our list. That's true. This is kind of like we are kind of an uncharted territory with this one because we have not seen a match like this. I mean, we will definitely see more in the future, but um, I think we might kind of be a victim of maybe this is not the one we should have started with, but that's the one that you guys wanted to hear. So that's the one we covered. Uh, I would actually love to stick around in New Japan for a little while, at least do one more match. From oh, there. I mean, we have, what, 80? I don't know how math works. Remember last time? I have no idea how, what math, how math uh, goes. I believe but we have 86. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a lot more matches, and so there inevitably will be several more, if I oh, had yeah. to guess, New Japan Pro Wrestling matches. So I have no issue thinking that we're going to you know, kind of dive all the way into New Japan. Uh, but with this being the first one coming out of New Japan, it is a completely different style than the rest of our list, which is why it makes it so difficult. And so when you're picking one to compare it to, like, yes, Awesome Tanaka, because it is brutal in that way and because it is violent. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's why I have it at six. I Guys, thoughts? Are you keeping, keeping would, it at nine? What are your thoughts? I would be interested to kind of cut the difference with you on that one. And put it... Probably about like um, maybe seven or eight. Yeah, I think cutting the difference for me would be understanding why it would go above Trish and Lita. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but putting it right underneath it because of that impact that it had. Mm-hmm. But understanding that it's probably a overall better put together match than the women's triple threat. So yeah. I think I think if we're kind of gonna gonna let Spencer sway us, <laughs> I would put it at seven under Trish and Lita. I agree with that. I do I'm, you, yeah, I'm happy with that. But Paul, we also both considered it number nine. We did. Um Yeah, I mean you just as just as me like I'm trying to sway you guys to to move it up, like you totally I can well, totally to be, be honest, to, to be, be honest, we, we, were, we were considering number nine because, oh man, I don't know if this is superior to Eddie and Ray, but we, we've got like two matches we've agreed that in hindsight probably are not superior to Eddie and Ray. So I didn't want to put it above that, but at the end of the day, I'm like, well, that's where we think it belongs. I think that's where it belongs. Okay, well, if you know, we, we need to keep keep level checking here with the why that's Eddie true. and Ray is where it is. It's because the impact that the two matches above it. It doesn't quite meet up to it. The Eddie and Ray match was a short match. It sort of was booked out of nowhere. Mm. Didn't have a lot of build. Mm. They have other matches that are better and that will be higher. That's very, very true. Um, so I, I think Eddie and Ray is is placed fairly. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because I, th- I think that, you know, most of these matches that we talk about on this list are matches that stand the test of time, so to speak. Because we're still talking about them 20, sure. 30 years later. But we have to examine why we talk about them mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years later. And Eddie and Ray, we don't talk about necessarily the impact. Although it could be argued that it did have an impact on cruiserweights and how they're perceived. Oh, absolutely. You know, like that's absolutely a part of it. But Trish and Lita, Charlotte, Sasha, Becky, those changed the way, at least here, that we looked at women's professional wrestling. Yes, I agree. And I think that's really... It. So for me, like even though you know we're kind of doing this divide, Landon, you're absolutely right as far as like checking ourselves. Uh, we thought that it should be above Eddie and Ray, and I think we still think that. It wouldn't have changed. So I'm, I mean, like I'm, I'm super content with putting it at seven behind, right, seven? Yeah, behind Trish and Lita. Yes. Okay. I, yes. I'm fine I, I would, with that. I would put it right at set number seven. All right. Okay. Well, we've got it. Now, uh, that took way too long. Yeah. It did. <laughs> well, I, here's the thing. 
this is what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. This is what's this gonna is happen. the point. Yeah, and the fact is, is that I can see the tweets and the emails now about people saying, if you put Trish and Lita versus Nakamura and Abushi, we're outside of our minds to put Nakamura and Abushi lower than Trish and Lita. But look at the rubric. You know, like, look at what we're talking about. Look at, look at what impact and things. Yeah, there, there's, there's more than just, like, act in-ring work that we have to consider here. Because as much as we, we, we love Ric Flair and Ricky Steamer, we put that at number three. But if we go strictly off of, like, in-ring uh, performance, that would be a little bit lower. But it's just the fact that that is the culmination of right. a... Uh, this three i'm sorry this like six month feud that has just seen three absolute wars and to see it settle that way and just the impact that it's had and how important it is to not just wcw but to the wrestling business as a whole that that trilogy of matches are legendary there's a reason why 30 years later we still talk about them in high regard well and you know we get that you're going to disagree with us too so if you do hate (laughs) that this ended up below trish and lita on our list uh, send us an email just like Mark Chips did. Yes. Uh, so Mark actually was talking about uh, how he thought the Flair Steamboat match, uh, the ending was a nice way to incorporate more of the Savage Steamboat kind of feel um, as the Savage Steamboat match ended kind of the same way. Steamboat rolling up Savage with the body slam to win the IC title. Um, Mark, alert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark suggested uh, a match uh, – to us, uh, and and his match suggestion was Hogan versus Andre at WrestleMania three. Oh, one of the iconic moments. Right? Talk about one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history. I mean, that's what cemented Hogan mm-hmm. as the guy for uh, for Vince McMahon. So, uh, thanks so much, uh, Mark, for your uh, for your email and for your match suggestion. Really appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure that's going to end up on a Twitter poll here here in a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, it will. Um, but this is why we do this mm-hmm. because. We want uh, everyone to to have a say in in what these greatest wrestling matches of all time are. You know, we are not the voice of God. No, <laughs> so we yeah, we are very well. I mean, my name is not Dave Meltzer, so it is not. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. <laughs> it's just I'm first of all, first of all, happily, my name is not Dave Meltzer. Like that is a good thing for me, um, and that's just my personal opinion about you know, professional wrestling and as, as it is and, and how he stands in it. But uh, we are very well aware that what we say is not finite. You know, it's, it's not the end of the line as we know it. So we want to hear your feedback. We want to. We want you to make your own list because that's what's so fun about this. And, you know, list or no list, uh, yeah. it's fun talking about these matches. Oh, it's oh fun. man. It's, it's fun. a hell of a lot of fun. It's fun reliving uh, these moments, uh, and, and it's fun reliving them with you. We have met some really uh, awesome people ever since we started this podcast, and, uh, you know, we really uh, couldn't appreciate more uh, all of the emails that we get, all mm-hmm. of the tweets that we get. Uh, and you know, uh, we we love uh, even we even love that you hate our number one match. <laughs> we so do, much. we absolutely do. Uh, it makes us want to keep it up there even longer. <laughs> no, I, the truth is, is that we really hope that you are enjoying this ride along with us just as much as we are. We want you to be watching these matches, or even or even more so. We want you to be just enjoying these memories or creating new ones. You know, you're, we're going to do matches on this list, one that we haven't seen, but hopefully you guys haven't seen either. So we're hoping that we're kind of helping you broaden your horizons to some of the greatest wrestling matches there's ever been. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you love professional wrestling. And what better gift is there 
than finding the best professional wrestling that there is to see and and reliving those moments in the best way we can. That's the whole point of the show. Yeah. That's why we do it. <laughs> yeah. So, again, thanks for all the suggestions. We can't wait for more of them. We can't wait to hear which match you guys want to hear next uh, because this match is getting more and more difficult as we yeah. as we just try to complete our top 20. Oh, it's only going to get worse it's, from here, buddy. It's only going to get harder. <laughs> yeah. So, Landon, sorry that this uh, ranking discussion took a while, but I have a feeling it's going to get tougher as we go along. Uh, we I might will. need to... <laughs> we're going to split it into two parts. One, one part where we rank, one part where we relive. I can already see it right now. We rank a match, and then we have another hour-long discussion or an apology of like, all right, all right, guys. <laughs> we know you in, didn't like that, get but in here's a habit why. Of apologizing. <laughs> well, and I think we're definitely definitely going to have some uh, bonus content coming up too. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and we cannot wait to share that stuff with you. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Oh, uh, yes. But until next time, who knows what continent we'll be covering? Who knows what year we'll be covering? But we do know we'll be covering one of the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time. And until then, I'm Spencer. I'm Paul. And I'm Landon. And this is Last Match Standing. Match standing.